0: From Glitch HQ on Riverside Avenue in temperate, bikeable Minneapolis, this is Nice Games Club, the show where nice game devs talk gaming and game development.
1: I'm Martha McGarry, and I make nice games.
0: I'm Stephen McGregor, and I make nice games. And I'm Mark Lacroix. I, too, make nice games. On this Roundtable episode, our topics are imposter syndrome, news and impressions from some of last month's big gaming events, and getting started with VR development. And so, for the very first time, let's start. All right, guys, we're doing it for real. We are. We can't Woo! we can't pull back now. We're, we're committed. We end this. We're <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's Nice Games Club. We're here to talk nice games, game development, and we got some good topics, but before we start, let's do a little bit of a maybe an introduction, maybe why we started doing this. Steven?
2: Yeah, sure. I mean, game development in general, right? Yeah. Well, um uh, I guess I through glitch really. I just realized that I really love game design and so i wanted to pursue that further mm-hmm. and so i've been doing that for i guess two and a half years now yeah yeah and i'm still rocking it
0: <laughs> martha what's your origin story
1: well uh my dad made board games and so i was sort of have games around for my whole life and then i took a boot camp in programming and i was like i could make my own video games <laughs> so so then i found glitch and the rest is history.
0: Nice. Uh, for me, I started doing design, uh, video, motion graphics, and eventually I needed to be able to code to do some extra stuff with that. And then the more I worked with that, the more I realized that that was a lot of fun and it became more of what I wanted to do. And so I haven't quite let go of anything else, but that's, that's my story. And then when I found Glitch and all of you in this community, uh, it just got better and better for me. So we'll talk more about Glitch as we go through this and future episodes. Um, but for now, um, let's get into the topics. Uh, first topic, Stephen. Yes, our first topic is imposter syndrome. Uh, yeah, I know. I know. It seems apt for our first episode. Yeah, right? yeah. I mean, what do, what do we, who do we think we are? Right. <laughs> right? Yeah,
2: yeah. Um, so the definition of imposter syndrome, uh, according to Wikipedia anyway, is a high-achieving individual marked by an inability to internalize their accomplishments and a persistent fear of being exposed as a fraud uh so in in my experience with imposter syndrome a lot of times i feel like i'm a fraud only because i haven't done a lot of it and Mm -hmm. i well my my brother he does he makes his own games by himself he can do all the art and programming and all the things i can really i can code a little bit and um i I mainly focus on game design and so for me seeing my brother do those kinds of things is humbling right right i I mean i'm very proud of him and i i but just It makes me. It doesn't make me feel worse. It just makes me feel like I am not as good. Well, he
0: (laughs) he defines for you what a game developer is. Yeah, I think that's 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 where I felt it is when I I compare myself to something else and I like I I don't meet a definition that I see somewhere else Mm. and that's when I feel it and I can overcome that by kind of just forcing myself to change the definition to what I am. Yeah, a little bit of a coping mechanism, but it's true, right? Yeah, yeah. I guess that's part of it. Um,
2: I don't know, and, and part of it is like, I, I, I'm just focusing on game design, really mm-hmm. I, do, I mean, I do scripting and stuff because I'm an indie game developer, and you kind of have to do that thing, or do those things, but uh, if, if I could, I would prefer to focus on game design, and so I really prefer to call myself a game designer rather than a game developer mm-hmm. and I see what other game designers do and um, it's another humbling experience uh. right, I suppose <laughs> <laughs> um, but what, what I like to, uh, what helps me out with that is like the, the community that I experience here in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. And with Glitch, especially, we're back to Glitch. Uh, it's <laughs> we're probably going to be talking back. about that. Yeah. We'll go back to it. It's, yeah. Oh, yeah, man. Glitch has, Glitch has been amazing. Uh, but just being able to be a part of a community that are all kind of going through the same things I'm going through, it makes, it, it makes me feel a lot more like a game developer because other game developers are doing what I'm doing, mm-hmm. and so it helps for me, helps me feel it helps me feel a little better about myself yeah
0: <laughs> how can we turn that little better into a lot better?
2: Hmm. well, well, it'd be helpful if I released a game for one <laughs> of just working on
0: a bunch of them <laughs> don't limit, That's, we don't need to do that yeah, <laughs>
2: no, no, no I, you know, I mean, even you don't have to release a game, it doesn't have to be on Steam or anything in order to be a le- legitimate game developer, folks um, but just I don't know, just working on games really is what is important on being a game developer, and I'm realizing that more and more. Mm-hmm. It just takes some time to tell yourself that and actually believe it.
3: Yeah.
2: Um, so Martha, what about you?
3: Um, I we talked at the
1: boot camp I went to to code is the first time I've heard like specifically of imposter syndrome, mm-hmm. and I felt like. I didn't really experience it while I was there because whenever I wasn't doing well I just blamed the, <laughs> the <laughs> teachers instead of myself. Um Excellent. <laughs> it's like, well, if I can't get it it's your fault. <laughs> um but I felt it a lot when I was applying for jobs in coding and um mm. uh because Selling what I like, I know that I do really good work, but like convincing other people that I do really good work is where I find myself like, oh, yeah, feeling (laughs) impostery.
2: I mean, that's difficult to try to convince other people that you've done important or useful work Mm -hmm. and that you can provide those skills to somebody else,
1: yeah. So, um, but I guess games are a a bit easier to sell the people i find Mm -hmm. mostly because they're really easy to get excited about (laughs) (laughs) that's true
0: that's true well i think you're unique out of the three of us is that your day job is in development yes and so it's uh, do you treat that differently um like like in your mind like like when you compare yourself when you stack your talents um
1: I guess web development, which is my day job, and game development are very different, but um, the skills are very similar. Like, actually, I treat I treat everything more like game development than like web development. Oh. Like every day when I come in and I play test the app that I'm working on, right. and, Which is a lot more boring than play testing a game.
2: But <laughs> it's not very exciting play testing a game either. Just saying. <laughs> <laughs> That's true.
1: <laughs> but yeah, I always have the Steven voice in my head going, have you play tested yet? <laughs> ah,
2: yeah. That has helped me a lot, actually, now that I think about it. Having play tests um, and showing, sharing my game every week um, and having other people see what you've done and say, well, sometimes they say, wow, this looks like an actual game. which is pretty. It's pretty, it's nice. <laughs> sometimes there's a bunch of game-breaking glitches and things, and that never feels good, but right. you, you pick up on them and you, you can, Adjust
0: them on the fight, which is which is good too. Right, and knowing that there's work to be done, and that you're going to be the one doing it, then then that's proof that yeah. you're a, you're a working game yeah, developer. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. I like that. Um, so, does what helps you with imposter syndrome is it immunity, just like me, or
1: yeah, having people around
3: to validate what you're doing, um, and. Uh, having people like endorse your skills, um, like,
1: I don't know. And, and getting to show off your work and having people go, yeah, that's awesome.
3: <laughs> yeah. That's good. Yeah.
1: So, yeah. Yeah. We have to remember to do that for each
2: other. Yeah, for sure. That's important. I think it's important for us to have those avenues to share, to share your game. And things. And mm-hmm. So I appreciate, uh, the things that Glitch has brought. I you GDA, know, uh, what does the IGDA stand for? In- Independent Game Development Association, International Game Development Association. I was
0: close. It was actually formed um, mostly like as a as a trade group for for like A, right? Mm. Like uh, our chapter here in the Twin Cities is much more focused on indie devs because that's who lives here. Yeah, um, it's also a non dues paying chapter, so it's just walking off the street, which really that's the best part of it, frankly. <laughs> yeah, um, so it's easy to think of it as the Indie Game Developer Association because that's kind of how how we operate with it, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, but that that's uh, I don't know I
2: don't know how spread out uh, IGDA is in other um, other parts of the country, mm-hmm. but it's been very helpful for me and it, it, it's kind of hard to bring yourself all the way over to get to that place to do it but
0: yeah yeah well you know Martha at the event last night for IGGA we we met with some people who had never been to one of those before and it was, it was really awesome. it was really cool, cool to yeah. like tell them like you guys are in for a treat if you stick around because you know they felt, they'd been they'd done some game jams and they'd worked on some stuff together and just seeing their eyes light up. It was like, oh, that was me a year ago. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Aww. Yeah. You know, like just getting involved. Cause I, I agree with you guys that, like, that is what that's you, it, you don't have this, you know, you, the imposter syndrome is about like, you, not about not knowing your own worth, but about, about what you feel it compares to the, the world around you. Right. Mm-hmm. And so when you see the world around you, you get to put it in a better context. Yeah, and um, and that's apart from the fact that when you are in those communities, you can get better. You learn. You can teach. And the first time you teach somebody something, that's a huge thing because it it, it puts you have a lot more value in the things you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, even if it's not something you think is exclusive to you or anything, you just you know that there are people you can help, which means that you've made it a little way. <laughs> you know, and the community is probably the number one way to get that so i certainly that's my recommendation to listeners who have those feelings is find somebody find a group of people find a an event that's, that's what did it for all of us right
2: yeah yeah, yeah.
0: so mark yeah your experience so i it's interesting because you guys talk about getting involved with glitch and organizations and then really like that's sort of that's the start of your stories right and for me it's a little different because i kind of i was working on the game i'm working on now I was working on sort of on and off uh, for almost a year or maybe a little longer even uh, before I n- knew there was even a community around here. And so my sense of imposter syndrome is from me thinking that I, I'm, this, I'm this video editor making games. You know, so I, I didn't really feel like I belonged. I felt like I was somebody else in this, in, in this field. But, you know, I, I knew enough. To, I felt pretty confident in my abilities as much as they were, but I didn't. I just didn't know anything about the, or like what you needed to do to be a game developer. And so I, I just told myself, you know what, it's a hobby, it's a thing, maybe I'll put it on the internet for free, you know, whatever. I, just, I guess I just didn't take it seriously. And that was my way of avoiding imposter syndrome, right? Like, the more I took it seriously, the more I felt like, you know, that I wasn't serious, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and, and then, um, like, then I got involved with the community and realized I was completely wrong. That that I belonged as much as anybody, and that I had things to share, and I had a lot to learn, and like that process that sort we were talking about. Um, but um, but yeah, it is. I think back, and I'm like, what took me so long to get to where I am now? And I'm still have a long way to go. Mm-hmm. But I feel so. I feel like I've gone so far. Yeah. Yeah. You know? That's good. That's good. Yeah. It's good. It's kind of
2: it's kind of interesting. Like if you if you see uh, what other. Game developers do just not even in our community, but out in general mm-hmm. on Twitter or Facebook or whatever, uh, there are just a, a wide variety of kinds of games that are being created.
0: Yeah, Twitter is a great example because I mean, just like um, you know, Screenshot Saturday, right, or uh, hashtag Indie Dev, mm-hmm. like or Game Dev, like it's it's a ton of people who are your peers, yeah. and and I mean your peers in the sense that like you you just opened Unity for the first time and you've been working for a week and a half. You have peers out there that are in the exact same place as you, and then you have peers who are just like you who've been working for three years on their dream project. Yeah, and uh, it's you can find so uh, it's not just meetups and events and people to shake hands with. It's it's just it's just the little points of contact you can make online too.
2: Yeah, yeah. This um, and you make use of those hashtags too. Those are pretty important because then people can see it and yes, hopefully you get a like or a retweet.
0: Yeah, well, there's a bunch of Twitter bots that will retweet indie dev stuff, which is <laughs> yeah. I pe- purely designed to like make indie devs feel good. <laughs> it makes me feel it good. It totally
3: works.
0: Two in the morning, I'll take a screenshot, and I'll be like, oh, it's uh, it's not Saturday anymore. Well, I'll just share it anyway. And then I get retweeted by like four <laughs> bots, and I'm like, I, don't, I know I shouldn't, but I still. I feel good. Yeah, you see the numbers and you're like, Yay. yeah. And uh, it's, it's not that I like, believe that there's someone there retweeting it. It's that <laughs> I feel good that someone thought to build a bot for me yeah. <laughs> to feel yeah. better. Yeah, know? yeah. And then, you know, occasionally we get a real, real like or retweet because people do look to those, mm-hmm. those things. They look for inspiration. They look just for fun stuff. Um, and people are interested in what you're doing. Yeah. Um, you, 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 you don't believe it until you find someone who is. Yeah. And then you realize, oh, right. The little dumb idea I had, um, you know, forget about selling your game. Just like explaining it as an idea, you'd be shocked at how easy it is to get people to go, oh, Hey, that's cool. Mm-hmm. And that does a lot for you when you're toiling away alone in the dark. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah.
2: Yeah. That definitely helped. Uh, the, the game I'm working on, Fingence, uh, it, <laughs> uh, it, it it was the initial build of it uh, we worked on it for about three months and we didn't really show anyone mm-hmm. just doing it in our homes uh by ourselves and uh we shared it at uh our uh the, the state the state fair mm-hmm. um here in minnesota and it was wow it, it was an experience the game kind of sucked yeah <laughs> uh, it was yeah it was not it was not very good it was actually because this was this is the first game me and um my, my friend lane and my brother well my brother had already made a game uh but this is the first we'll be game. happy to know you remembered their names <laughs> <laughs> um uh yeah but uh, me and lane uh this is our first game we actually like coded and we're doing all the coding mm-hmm. which uh, <laughs> um <laughs> But not not only that, but like it was supposed to be like a, a smaller project. We were it was originally going to be like a mobile game, mm-hmm. um, and it was going to be weirdly competitive. Sort of, you were trying to get more points than the other people, and each person would pass or would like pick an augment that would change the, how the ship played, and then pass to the next person, and then they'd have to play. Uh, I think about a minute long level with that with that augment, and you would just keep doing that
0: until. Uh, I think, like, three rounds went through or something like that. Oh, that's really interesting, because, like, when I first played Vengeance, like, the pure the, the team co-opiness of it was so appealing to me, and it's, it's interesting to learn that that wasn't always how it was yeah, worked. Yeah, yeah, it was a completely different game. Hmm. Um, it didn't work out that way, though, when I, <laughs> I,
2: mean, it, I think part of it is just it was our first time doing it, and sure. so it, it just, but it didn't feel right. We shared it off to people, it was hard to explain, and we couldn't get people to, like, really get into passing it and there were a couple of people that kind of got into it, which was nice but mm-hmm. we realized we needed to go in a different direction and now we have this vengeance which i find especially right now i'm finding very enjoyable to work on mm-hmm. and um so that that kind of stuff i i think a lot of times people are very cautious of sharing their stuff because they don't want to be criticized they yes don't want to, they don't want to feel bad about the work that they've done mm-hmm. but i i feel I always try to encourage people to share their work as soon as possible, mm-hmm. even when it's just a paper prototype or you've only worked on it for like a couple of hours, programming or something. Because yeah, sharing that, sharing that is is an experience that other people want to experience, mm-hmm. even when you don't,
0: even if you're not sure. Right, right. You put put it on the fridge. Yes, right. Yes. Like it's interesting. I was um, at work. Uh, I just come back from uh, IndieCade, and we'll talk about that later. Um, and I was telling a coworker about my experience and I, I demoing my game there. And um, she said, like, aren't you worried about, you know, like people like taking your ideas? And I'm like, I just, it didn't occur to me that that was something anyone thought about because, but, uh, but to a layperson, right? Like, you know, uh, but I mean, and what I told her is that no, everyone just wants to work on their own ideas. <laughs> no one wants to, steal, yeah. no matter how good your idea is, no one wants to steal it. Yeah. So you're exactly right. Like, and whatever risk there is, if there is even any. It's totally outweighed by the fact that like, you get so much, uh, not just emotionally, but like, in the actual process of building your game. Yeah. It, you, your work improves when you show it to people. Right. Um, whether it's a formal play test, whether it's just a screenshot, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Exactly. exactly.
1: I think one cool thing about what you are saying, too, is that the game changed a lot from when you first started, like your first idea. And I think that's one thing that stops people from starting... A thing is they're like oh i can't i don't have the skills yet to make the thing that i'm envisioning and that just starting off with whatever it is even if it's not like the best version of it it's going to change over time mm-hmm. so um yeah
0: yeah no don't that, be afraid <laughs> yeah don't be afraid that's... i mean
1: it's okay to be afraid but <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's an excellent point that we didn't i mean we haven't really touched on yet but like yeah that it's not just the fear of your own talents but like can you do your? Can you achieve your dreams? Right. Mm. It's, the, it's it's about scope and about you know. I mean, I as someone who has started big projects, I wasn't ready for. Like, I can't. I'm not the best ex- person to tell you to think small, but that's good advice. You yeah. know. It's, um, I used to tell uh, when I was doing independent film. I used to tell people like, "Don't you're not your first film should not be your Pulp Fiction, right? Like you should, you know." But people really because it does it holds you back a lot, and and because you're not you know you're not the master yet of your field um, for the thing you want to make that can really make you feel small. Yeah. Right. mm -hmm. Um, But I I mean, I guess you should be, you should start small, right. Mm -hmm. They should be proud of that, I guess. Yeah. I I,
2: I do wish that vengeance was kind of wish that vengeance (laughs) wasn't as big of a project as it ended up being, but, um, being able to work on small projects on the side and stuff helps a lot too. Yeah. And yeah, just having something going to game jams. Oh, my goodness. Oh, that's, yes. that's so helpful because uh, everybody is as panicked as you are when you're trying to work on a game for <laughs> 24 hours or 48 hours. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, I
0: mean, uh, just yesterday at um, IGDA, uh, that we were talking about two upcoming game jams. And I think somebody asked, like, Do you need to have any experience? And again, it's one of those questions where once you forget people uh, have these questions because. That, you know, and of course, we all just we all jump in and say no, no, no. You can walk in, and you do not have to know anything. You can just you can just draw things on paper, and you're, that's part of the process. Like you don't have to have any skills. Um, like me, you don't have to know Unity going into a game jam. That was fun. <laughs> um, and and but you know, it's uh. It's, it's sometimes people don't know to ask until they're presented with the opportunity to. Um, so maybe that's another uh, thing. Is what. You know, people listening. You know, they've heard it from us, and I'm sure they've heard it elsewhere if they're listening to a show like ours. Um, but what can they do to help others? Like, how do what do you how do you talk to people about g- building their confidence and letting them know that they belong?
2: Oh, that's a good question. I guess being welcoming. Yeah. I try to be as welcoming as possible. Um, comes
0: naturally to you, <laughs> I suppose it does. What about grumps like me? Oh like, uh, <laughs> well,
2: um, you. It, helping people in game jams and things. Mm-hmm. Uh, now that I think about it, we, me and you, Martha, we met at a game jam. We did. <laughs> yeah, and we worked on our game, uh, I guess it's Clawbreaker now. It used to be called Crustacean Combat. <laughs> I kind of like that name. Wait, right? I thought it was yeah, Crab Battle. <laughs> <laughs> it's gone through many days. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, being open to uh, meeting new people and experiencing uh, new things. Um, helps. Like, I don't know if, if you, if you have experience working on something and you want to support other people doing that, going to events like mm-hmm. that and answering questions that people have, even if you don't have good answers for them, it's something because they, I mean, they feel like they're being heard. Mm-hmm. I, 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 when I went to, um, IGA, RGDA for, um, the first time I met, I think it was Chip Peterson who was there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like he, Shoot, he's been in the uh, game development field for a long time, um, and just being able to talk to him and I got his business card and stuff. I felt like I was, I felt like I was a part of something. I felt like yeah. there was it was helpful, and so I think that just being open to people, not even, even if you're a grump. <laughs> <laughs> okay, <laughs> just being yeah, open to uh, answering people's questions because they're going to ask a lot of questions. People are curious.
0: Excellent. Well, and of course, people can get in touch with us now if they have yeah, questions because we're putting ourselves out there. And so we are, of course, the ultimate authority on these things. Right? <laughs> for sure,
3: of for course. sure. And we've gotten
0: over it completely,
1: right? <laughs> no, yep. Never never feel imposter syndrome ever again.
0: <laughs> All right. Problem solved. We'll uh, move on to our next topic then. So we'll take a break and we'll be back to talk about uh, conferences from last month. And I'll tell a couple of fun stories. All right. Cool. Stay tuned. And we're back for our second segment. We're going to talk about uh, a little bit of travelogue for me. I went to a bunch of uh, events, conferences and stuff last month. Uh, Oculus Connect, uh, Indicade, and Adobe Max I just got back from. There's some interesting game-related stuff there I want to talk about. Um, so I'll first talk about Oculus Connect 3. Um, big uh, announcements. Everyone's waiting for the touch controllers, the hand presence oh, for yeah, Oculus. Right. To bring it on par with the Vive. Sort of. Um, I think the 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 room scale versus non room scale. I don't. I've been on Reddit. Like, I, there's like, <laughs> VR Reddit is kind of it's getting worse by the day. Is uh. it is. But um, but uh, the it's room scale is such an amazing thing that like Oculus kind of just missed the boat on. Mm. Like they were sort of far enough in their plans for the Rift, and then Vive kind of came in and said, "Oh no, you can just redo your living room." And then like they're like oh, but uh, and so they kind of feel a little late to it, mm. um, but their hand controllers are by far the best thing. Yeah, um, I mean, I've I've played the PlayStation VR and and uh, the Vive and uh, the touch controllers that Oculus is delivering are it's the best implementation of this. It's the most comfortable. They have the most uh, input mechanisms. Everything about it is just better. And it's a little sad because it's. I think that people have their Oculus set up in their dens at their desk. And, you know, the, you'll have enough cameras to room scale. But I feel like that's not really the problem with those. It's more the, um, you know, the, like, prescribed usage, right? Like, uh, they say, set up a camera here and here. And it's like, oh, yeah, but I want to play a room scale game. Okay, take 30 minutes and reset up your room. Yeah. You know, and it's, uh, that's what I think is going to happen. And I'm a little worried about that because I think room scale with those controllers will be, like, every vibe game I've played, I'm imagining with those, those and I just think it'll be a little bit better. <laughs> so we'll see how it goes but anyway that's my like thinking on that it's like on my mind a lot when I think about okay. those controllers because they're not out yet they're coming out uh, December 6th they'll be 199 oh. which makes the, the Oculus the same price as the Vibe now um, oh. if you buy it all in uh, so that's something to consider if you're sort of picking a horse mm. is uh, which of those and I think I, I guess really uh, like as much as I love those controllers I think there is still like you can pick one or the other and you'll be fine One of the things I learned, which is so fascinating, is that um, it's called Touch. I always thought it was a dumb name for these controllers. Yeah. It's called Touch because they have touch capacitive sensors all over it. And that's how they do finger tracking. So the joysticks, when you put your thumb on the joysticks, they're actually capacitive sensors. And so when you take your thumb off of it, your avatar can give a thumbs up. Oh. And so, and the grip buttons and all of the face buttons have capacitive sensors. So as a game developer... Like, imagine the extra, like, uh, controls you have at your disposal. Oh, yeah. Can
2: you strap the controllers onto your hand?
0: Uh, you mean so you don't throw them across the room? No,
2: no. So, like, <laughs> I guess, like, in order to get, like, realistic grabbing motion or whatever, mm-hmm. you could, like, uh, strap it to your, if I'm wondering if you could strap it to your hand and then just, like,
0: oh so squeeze it's, your Interestingly, the, 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 hand, um, the, the controllers are designed in a way that you can open your hand mm-hmm. and they will not fall out of okay. your hand. Um, They have they sort of wrap around your hand a little bit, so you can hold them fairly loosely without dropping them, and so um, that actually improves immersion really well because you can kind of like you can actually feel like you reach out and grab like an apple in a in like a demo, and it feels very similar to how you would. And in fact, because you then are grabbing a physical object, the controller, it feels even more real. Okay, And, and so like that is whereas I think with Vive, there's been a lot of you know gluing the vibe controller to stuff yeah right <laughs> were, were
2: there examples of the touch controller like as a game
0: yeah so um, they had a lot of demos at the show and one of the ones that I played uh, that used touch controllers was a game called Lone Echo which uh, they revealed at the keynote and sounded like this great single player campaign game takes place in space a lot of zero G it's really charming but what they were demoing at the show, I stood in line for this thing for like half an hour, and then uh-huh. what they were demoing, I had no idea this was it, it was an eight-player multiplayer mode, oh. which is basically um, uh, Ender's Game, if you guys have read that yeah. book, oh, yeah. where it's, it's like zero-G basketball, basically. But the mechanism you use is use your hands to grab things and push off. So you are fully in 3D space in all directions, and it's really fascinating because You'd think that would kind of make you nauseous. Like There's the locomotion problem in VR, right? Yeah. Um, this doesn't have that exactly, but it makes you dizzy, but, oh. but not nauseous, which huh. is actually very unique for the VR experiences I've had. And you see kind of your legs flitting around, and that's not really where your legs are. Right. So that's why you feel like you're about to fall over, because it's not ex- exactly where you are. Yeah. So it's, I think they have to do a little bit of refining there. But it's really fascinating. Um, the problem I had with it was that, it totally encourages a full 360 degree. And not just like turning around and turning back. This thing is an, a eight-player action multiplayer game. And so you don't just turn around. You turn around three times. Oh, right? no. Because you're following somebody who's going across the field. Yeah. And so I got like tangled up a lot oh, in this game. Yeah. And it's funny because I always tell people with the vibe, I'm like, you know what? You'll be surprised at how, how little it matters that the cable is there, that you'll be able to step over it. You'll be fine. You have a sixth sense for these things. You'll be great. But this game proved me wrong. <laughs> and in the end, like, I, I, I think it's because my expectations were really high because the reveal trailer had a great aesthetic. I felt like a good story, the game I wanted to play. And then I ended up in this like, Ender's Game thing. and Maybe because I lost, too. Like my team lost. But, <laughs> but I was a little disappointed. Yeah. Um, but that used the touch controllers in a really interesting way it, purely for locomotion, mm-hmm. which is like, totally different from how you'd expect to use them, which is basically shooting things. Yeah. right. That's the expectation. But Lone Echo, I do give it a lot of credit because it's, like, it's cool that already people are coming up with different interesting ways of using these devices. Um, so, yeah, it was pretty exciting stuff. I did, yeah, I did a bunch of demos. And the touch controllers I'm so excited about because I really want to use those. I really want to develop with those. Yeah, those sound really I've had a nice bunch fun. of VR ideas. I've had a vibe for a while, but like I I want the joysticks that come on the touch controllers. I want them so bad (laughs) because I I really feel like that would because the ideas I have like really require that. I don't know why I've boxed boxed myself in that way. So I cannot wait for December for those. Um, The other big announcement was about um, hardware um, uh, 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 requirements. So uh, they call it asynchronous space warp. So asynchronous time warp is a a system uh, that's otherwise known as reprojection where if the frame rate on a VR experience, which has to stay really high, right? Mm-hmm. In, in order otherwise you're going to get nauseous, it's going to be stuttery or whatever. Right, right. Um, if the frame rate drops, or the, or the system believes that it will drop a frame, it takes the previous frame and then takes your head tracking and tries to reposition the frame, like just move it along in your view mm-hmm. so that you, it feels consistent, right? So that it, it doesn't feel like a dropped frame, it's a repeated frame. And that's actually a great technique. Uh, PlayStation VR uses this to uh, duplicate their frames from 60 to 120. So PlayStation VR games run at 60 hertz, which mm-hmm. isn't actually very good for VR. It's a little under what you'd want. But um, then uh, PlayStation VR games all reproject to so 120 hertz. So you, the action you're watching is only happening 60 frames a second, but the, cam- the motion of your head motion um, happens at 120, right? So it's a really oh, interesting cool. compromise to get it running on lower-end software or lower-end hardware. Um, uh, Oculus has had this for a while and asynchronous space warp is something different where um, it's an additional step which has uh, translation so it, um, this helps for when you're turning your head right really fast mm-hmm. but it doesn't help if you're moving forward or backward right? because the, the, there's no way for a, because what it does is it takes the image, the the frame and processes the frame right? and so it doesn't have any 3D information, it doesn't know anything about the game which means that developers don't need to do anything to implement it but it also means that you can't like it has no way of knowing what's around the corner, right mm-hmm. if you like, tilt your head. Asynchronous space warp um, is basically just a better version of this, where it tries to take the frame information and extrapolate 3D space, and then it gets your head translation from the headset and tries to kind of actually tries to create a new 3D frame from that data. It doesn't have to be perfect, um, but because it only comes every other frame. Um, it just has to be an amalgamation of the previous and the next frame. Um, and so it actually is. It sounds very voodoo, but it really works. And um, it, what that means, the upshot of it, is that you can now run Oculus games on systems at 45 hertz because it, oh, wow. it duplicates them to, to, to 90. And uh, normally that would be, so on PlayStation VR, 60 to 120, that's fine. But be, that's because it just does a standard, like, uh, rotational adjustment. Mm-hmm. And so you can get away with that. Mm-hmm. But at 45 hertz, you can't get away with that. Yeah. With asynchronous space warp, it, it, it's just extra processing on the, the frame after it's rendered out by the GPU. So you can now run them at 45 hertz, which means the specs for, Ocu- uh, for Oculus games are way lower now. Oh, you can yeah. run them on, I guess what it was, a 950 or a 940? I might be wrong on that. Mm-hmm. But a lower end, uh, machine which is a really big news for people who want to get in and don't want to spend a bazillion dollars yeah yeah for sure maybe i might think about investing in that yeah like when we are here working at glitch or working at home like you know the, a machine that runs vr it can't be a laptop it can't generally be a laptop mm. right and so it creates a lot of problems for developers um this is a good step forward for that which is really really cool mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so other big news, um, inside-out tracking, standalone device, the, the, called the Santa Cruz prototype, where it's basically the headset. It's sort of like, um, you know, it's uh, like cardboard, which is just the phone on your face or whatever. It's like that but a little higher end, so it lives in the middle between a mobile device and a, a tethered PC. Um, and then the tracking is um, uh, cameras on the inside looking out into the world, so you don't need to set up your cameras. It's just a single device you put on your head and ready to go. Mm-hmm. You take it to the park, do whatever you want. Um, so that's really exciting. They just teased that a little bit. Uh, that's really exciting. Um, the question is, is like, is it going to be based on like an ARM processor? Is it going to be a mobile device? Is it just going to be a little PC? How much power can they get in there? What's the battery life going to be? These are all questions that they like. Just were not, inter- you know, just like, hey, here's the thing. Like, start imagining now. Mm. Um, so that was a lot of fun.
1: Is it like the Hololens? Does it map your? Room or
0: I think it does. Yeah, the Hololens works like that, right? And actually, I've been very impressed with the Hololens' ability to track that way. And when people talk about Inside Out tracking, they forget that there's a device out there that does it <laughs> with, with phone hardware. It's a very low-powered device. Um, but um, they weren't specific on like you know what kind of data they store, or if they or if it's just all real-time tracking rather than whereas the Hololens it'll store that data for mm. use later, which helps offload some of the processing as you go. Um, But uh, yeah, they really gave no information. They showed like a little teaser of a guy with a thing on his head with some wires sticking out the back. Like, there's our prototype. And they let some members of the press uh, try it out. But they gave them no information either. So um, just to, I guess, prove to them it was real and not just like a a promise. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, So that was pretty exciting. Um, But yeah, those were the big news. And yeah, some of the games I tried. But the other thing at Oculus Connect I wanted to talk about was uh, John Carmack, who famously program doom and quake and left uh id to go to oculus uh to work on of all things uh gear vr Mm -hmm. and um i think a lot of like hardcore gamers were like why like what (laughs) but uh i guess he has this tradition at oculus where at the oculus connect events this is the third one he has this tradition where he just wanders the halls and then when people start asking him questions he stops and then the crowd forms and so he was doing that all weekend and i didn't really know about this but i i wandered by and i I saw him talking to people and it was really fun to like hear a veteran kind of talk about the new frontier. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was really interesting. And and he, I guess he did that the whole event. Um, And then he did a keynote at the very end of the, of the show. And he was limited to 90 minutes and he didn't get half the things he wanted to talk about. And he he had no slides. He just like talked about stuff and it was really fascinating And then at the end, they go, Oh, I see you, I'm out of time. And he literally didn't even do like a conclusion. He's just in the middle of a thought. And he's like, I guess I'm out of time. Well, you guys can find me in the hotel lobby. And he just left. And this is, you know, it was a crowd of thousands listening to this keynote. And, you know, half of them probably didn't understand a thing of it. And I understood maybe a third. And I was just like, okay, cool. So which hotel? What? When? Like, what's going on? He's such a casual guy, I guess. Mm -hmm. It's very strange. Um, But I did find him. Um, uh, in the hallways on the way to the hotel lobby. People had stopped him. And only about 14 people found him. And mm. so we all hung out with him for like an hour. Oh wow. It was so much fun. That's awesome. And That's so cool. It, I mean a lot of it is you know, meeting your heroes, right? Yeah. But, uh, but a lot of it too is just like real practical Q and A. Like the guy had a lot to say. And he had a lot to say not just on like the sort of, you know, the forecasting, right? Like what's coming up in VR. Um, well, how mobile VR matters, what's because, uh, you know, he works in with uh, Gear VR, which doesn't have uh, translational tracking and is limited to lower resolution devices. And like, you know, and just to hear him talk about working in, on these limitations and what he does to, to solve those things, but then also like imagining what the future holds for everything for all of these different categories and then also like letting a little bit out about like the internal politics of the company which is fun cuz you know i mean what are they going to do fire him like <laughs> you know what I mean? he does talk about sometimes he'll say like oh i really shouldn't be talking about whatever you know um and actually there was a media handler who wandered by later just Aww. to keep him on like just to make sure like check in like you didn't leak anything big, did you, John? Anyway, it's pretty funny. But he also had things to say about game design, which okay. is really interesting. Because you know, of the the pair of Johns who made Doom, you know, he's considered the programmer, and John Romero was the sort of the artist designer. And um, but he had quite a lot to say about like you know, especially about UI. He was really interested in uh, preaching the idea that UI should be like flat in front of you. Like, it shouldn't be, you know, I mean, Job Simulator does a great job of, like, having objects you grab the and use. The exit burrito. The exit burrito, because <laughs> I love the exit burrito. But it was interesting. It was a very compelling case he made, which was just, um, nope, nope, people have been looking at monitors on screens, so just put a, a screen in front of them in VR for options and, and things. He was convinced, and, and, and he made a really, there's, you know, there's edge cases. I mean, the exit burrito has its place, partly because it's funny, yeah. right? It has a purpose in that realm. Yeah but i think a lot of vr designers are like how do i get my text floating in the air and get my my graphics settings menu and i think he was very dismissive of like those efforts he's like we've solved this problem like we know what a menu looks like mm-hmm. and it was interesting because here he is on the frontier of this and he had this but he was very specific about like people sort of abusing the novelty of it and it was really interesting to hear about oh, yeah, and it was just nice. great and like you know i played quake was a huge part of my childhood um and then i but i moved away from first person shooter games and from pc games for a long time and so i kind of i almost had to remind myself like oh yes this was this guy did create a big part of like what got me into this field what got me interested in this topic and here he is like giving me advice Mm -hmm. that's it was a rare treat yeah that's that's pretty cool yeah that's awesome Whew. And then I came home <laughs> for two days and then I went off to IndieCade. Indie. And so IndieCade was uh, its my second year at IndieCade and um, I was showing off uh, my game there. Metro Nexus is my game. And um, I was showing it off at an event called... Oh, Martha, do you want to...
1: Which is why we call him Metro Nexus Mark. Yes, thank no you, problem.
0: Martha. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so I was showing it off at uh, an event called Game Tasting, which is, so you, know, you submit to the festival and you don't get in. That's how it works. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, but they have this uh, pre-conference, uh, which is specifically for devs, uh, called Indie Exchange. And at that, they have a playtesting event called Game Tasting. And it's mostly peers. And frankly, I'm not really sure who they expect to show up to it, you know? But um, that was uh, m- literally my very first playtest of Metro Nexus was last year's Game Tasting. Um, because I didn't know what I was doing, and so I just went to this event to do my first play test in California. Oh wow, <laughs> that's that's intense. And so I'm at the hotel coding the last, you know, a couple of features which didn't exist in the game before. This was when you guys know a little bit about my game, but it started out as this single player kind of puzzle platformer in a way, um, and then it mo- it turned into this multiplayer battle game, and it did that on its way to IndieCade last oh. year as i was taking it to show off i submitted it as the the single player game and and then in the meantime changed it and showed anyway and so it, it's it has a special place in my heart so i wanted to go again this year and even though like i don't know how much i would have gotten again out of showing it off to, here because i've been doing so many play tests here uh, at glitch and other events that have been so valuable um in the same way so i didn't need to travel to california for this but it was you know a little bit of a place in my heart so um i went and that was a, a blast and i got to try other people's things i got to meet some people and do this sort of networking stuff so that was cool because i'm not great at that stuff um we should really talk about that future yes. topic like, yeah right because as i mean that's the thing we're none of us are great at this <laughs> it's just <laughs> nobody is great at networking so it's so that's the first thing i learned um but that was a lot of fun and um uh, the, then the festival started, and the interesting about that was the types of games they have it indicated. And as someone who submitted, I think it, I think they were fair. right? <laughs> but you know you want, you want to see your work. And, and, and when I think about the work I want to do is I want to make games that have, that have meaning that, that tell a story, but are also not pretentious. I don't want to make artsy games, mm-hmm. uh, not because I feel like I need to sell them, but because I don't put a lot of stock in art for its own sake necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, art should say something, but if it's a game, it should be a game, I suppose. I don't know. Maybe, like, luckily, we don't have enough listeners for me to get hate mail yet, but like, <laughs> <laughs> like that's something that will, will engender some arguments. Please, argue with me, because it's an interesting topic. But, but that also means that, at least the, the way I would have it, is a festival would be about showing to publishers, kind of like how a film festival works, necessarily, which is you know, here's our art, please buy it. Right? It's a little bit of a conflict, but Indiecade has that same kind of pull of like, what do we show here? And so they had a lot of stuff that was totally unmarketable in a, and so very installation based. And a lot of it was really novel. And some of it was like, oh, this is just an interesting idea, but the execution was so basic, but the idea was so good. So it must be very tough to be on those juries to decide. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, um, I, I tend to be constrained a little bit more by like the holistic every step. Like, here's an idea, how I'm going to execute it, what form is it going to take? And that like before I finished thinking the idea I've kind of stepped through a little bit I think that is limiting in a sense to me mm-hmm. sometimes but it's interesting to see some of the games showcased here it's like this is great for the thirty people who will ever see it yeah and and that kind of makes it difficult like what's the role of art in society I guess is maybe a bigger topic than we're prepared for <laughs> um, and I've, I realize I've sort of spun into this without really describing any of these games um, and the reason this is is because I didn't really play a lot of them that I kind of sampled them a little bit you know there were, there were sessions and I went to a summit and there was a lot of stuff there so I kind of feel like I missed out on so much and so I had to kind of pick and choose I don't know like what do you, like, uh, what do you guys think about what it takes to, to know a game like that like if something's presented to you how long do you think it takes what, do you, what kind of environment do you need to be in when you show off your work and people come by do you think they get the whole experience? That's a good question <laughs> <laughs> That is why I asked it <laughs>
1: I mean, with Clawbreaker, which is the game that me and Steven have both worked on, uh, it's a crab fighting game. And the the rounds last about 30 seconds uh-huh. each. So, uh, <laughs> so you haven't burdened with that problem. Yeah, it's an <laughs> easy game to demo because, like, literally, you're like, this will take 30 seconds of your time.
2: Please play this. <laughs> well, you've also demoed Chimera Genesis, and that game that's is a lot longer. Tr- that's true.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. That I wonder game if people... has
0: like loadout and role playing elements and narrative elements that kind of take some time to sink in. It's, it's a it has a different challenge.
1: I I think it would be hard to demo a narrative game. Like I'm wondering how there's another local game Verdant Skies which just got a
3: green lit. Um
1: but their playtests are very different than I think a lot of people cuz it's a farming game mm-hmm. yeah. and so people and it's single player and so you just like people sit there for half an hour playing it yeah. and like get really engrossed in it. And so they only get like one person a play test mm-hmm. or one or two people a playtest.
2: Yeah. yeah, I've seen I've seen them do they've done a couple uh, here at Glitch. They have headphones so you can just tune everything else out mm-hmm. and you just uh demo and you just play the game for however long. Yeah, and a it, couple
0: of the games I played at, at IndyK was the same way. You'd sit down and put headphones on and it's it starts to think, well, is the festival environment the right place for this? Mm. Like but would I have downloaded a demo if offered? Yeah. I don't yeah. know. I think I think a lot of big questions around this. Yeah, topic. there's there's I mean and every but game
2: it's is own different. Topic. <laughs> <laughs> every game is different. It's hard to it's hard to know how you want to yeah, present yeah. your game specifically. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've I've wrapped or we've had issues. Well, not issues per se with Fingin, but um the 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 campaign. It, it's kind of difficult. We want to we want to portray like the sense of progression that you're supposed to get. Yeah. But we also want people to play through like the whole demo and not right. get bored. Or Mm -hmm. have to sit there for 30 minutes before they can move on to something else. And so we've struggled with trying to figure out the right level length
0: for a demo.
2: We've gotten it so it's adjustable. We still haven't figured out the right length for it or anything.
0: Right, and then the level, I mean, what you're talking about is something where are you going, you know, there's the conflict of, like, gearing your game to be demoed. Right. And not to be played by the person who buys it. Yeah. And um, I think that's a big challenge. That's the thing I've faced with my game, where I feel like, the, the controls in my game, they're not complicated or super difficult, but it does take a round or two of, like, the first ro- round or two, you're like, I don't know what I'm doing here. Mm-hmm. And then you kind of pick it up. And it's fun to see people, like, get there, right? Get to the point where, like, oh, I get this now, and then they instantly become good at it. Yeah, And that's very gratifying for me, but it's like, I also don't blame someone for trying it once and walking away, yeah. right? with a bad impression. Right, yeah. You know? yeah. And so I've I've had to work very hard to, like, remind myself that, like, it's okay. I don't need to change it, and I, I might be wrong about that, frankly. Right? No, no, no. Well,
2: I mean, who knows? But like, <laughs> I, but
0: but, I, but I, I'm cognizant of the fact that it's a different environment yeah. for what my final product is going to be um, compared to what like I'm showing off at you know even a play test where people are very generous with their time mm-hmm. and their attention. Mm-hmm. Um, I have to remember that like you know they didn't pay money for this, so they don't have an investment in the, the way that a, a future buyer hopefully will. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's
2: a lot of um, that. Um, and people are going to give you feedback that might not necessarily make sense for your game. Yes. like I've heard a lot of people give feedback on, uh, like uh, you can. I, I realize people who are listening may not have played Fandom. I hope that changes. Well, why haven't they? I know? Right? <laughs> what is wrong with that? We have a we have a free demo on my website um, <laughs> that we'll get to. Uh, but uh, um, there's you can collect scrap and um, that lets you buy things for your ship. And we whenever you collect scrap, it distributes it amongst all the players. Mm -hmm. Some people have come to me and said, why can't we just have it so that when you get scrap, you're the only one who gets it? We want the game to be cooperative, and so we don't want to encourage people to be competing over the scrap. Right. Um, But a lot of people, some people really like the competitive aspect of the game Mm because there is a little bit of um, competitiveness, like there's a score count, or not a score count, but like how much damage you've dealt some people get over that, things like that. Um, But we really want the core of the game to be cooperative. Mm-hmm. As best as we can, so we try to encourage that, and, and it goes into the scrap thing. Yeah. And so sometimes you'll get feedback like that that just isn't useful, mm-hmm. and sometimes people just might not like your game. It yeah. might not be for them. Like I'm, mm-hmm. I make, I'm working on a shoot 'em up, and a lot of people just see a ton of bullets on the screen. and They're like, nope. <laughs> uh, <laughs>
0: <laughs> so it, it, sometimes yeah. that's just the case. Well, it's interesting. I mean, uh, 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 these more installation style games at IndieCade that I had some trouble with. Um, I mean, actually, a lot of the, they were actually very good, right? They and they deserved to be there, and they were really fun. But also, I I struggled to feel like what were they getting out of it, other than like the other than like the sort of prestige of being there. So, like it, when you when you show at a festival, is it about? Like promoting your work, or is it about providing something for the attendees, right? Mm. Because there were a lot of games there which are like soon to be published, right? Check out more information at this website. Yeah. Or, you know, we got our demo available or we're gonna be released soon, or we're looking for a publisher. Mm-hmm. And that that's a legitimate way reason to show it off. That's why we show off our games, right? right. To get feedback and to sort of get some attention. Mm-hmm. And then there are some experiences which are like, this is it, this is where you experience it. <laughs> and I found and But part of it was just me inside my head thinking, like, like what are the what were the planners thinking about how this is put together? And that sort of, like, I'd go from experience to experience, and I would have to reset my expectations and my thinking of like, like how how I'm going to you know experience this. Mm -hmm. Like, and the developers are all there, right? They're hustling for either their work or to answer questions or to help you play. And I want to make sure that I give them good feedback or that I have good conversations with them or I can learn something interesting from them. And I don't, I have to, I have to spend a little time. And again, this is like just me in my head, so it might not be necessary, but at this little, I'm thinking like, why are they here? What's the point? And what can I, what will be valuable for me to tell them or to ask them? So my indicate experience was less like fun running around trying new things and more like these like deep questions about like what is the role of art in society and what is the role of what is my role in this industry. Mm. Um, which is why I'm sort of babbling on about these topics at random, it seems. <laughs> but it was really interesting. And I do need to tell this story. The, my indicating Experience was capped off with a keynote from Rand Miller, the creator of Myst, um, who gave this excellent talk about the sort of past and future of games. And it, from his perspective, it was really fascinating because, you know, obviously, he's a legend in the industry. But at the same time, uh, Cyan, uh, his company, you know, uh, was under the radar for a long time, uh, uh, for the past 10 years. And, uh, they've always been a small studio. And it's, you know, they had, it's almost like they had the, they had their time, right? And then they sort of faded into security. Um, but they recently came back with Abduction, their brand new game. It's getting excellent reviews. Mm-hmm. It's selling pretty well. And it has a great VR version. Uh, I'll find out as soon as I, I get around to playing it. I, I have it waiting for me at home. And I'm just like, I don't need some time to play it. Um, but he was ta- so he's in a position where he's having a bit of a career renaissance. And so he was on a great moon, which is nice to see, and told a lot of stories. And so it was really fascinating. But then afterward, um, uh, he sort of uh, held court and talked to people for a while and answered some questions. And so that was just super fascinating. And um, I told them my story of, um, you guys play Uru? You remember Uru? Missed online. Oh, it was basically an MMO with no battle system, right? Mm-hmm. They, they, it was reliant on puzzle experiences, which are just impossible to produce on a regular basis. Right. And Cyan had a lot of difficulty creating new levels and new content because they just didn't have the funding for it, and there were lots of problems and bugs, and the engine was very old and yada yada. Um, but it was basically it was kind of Second Life in a way. It was a lot of a lot of people just hanging around and chatting and sort of being in character, and it was it was really interesting and. I, I don't have a lot of experience with other MMOs, but I was really into that one. And um one of the things I did was um late at night, like two in the morning, um I'd plug in my guitar into the microphone jack of my computer and I'd just I'd go into a central area in the cavern in the sort of public the public instance and I'd just play music and I'm not a great guitar player. <laughs> I'm just kinda noodle. And because the game had um atmospheric sound effects, so it had voice chat, but also if you were in a cavern area, it would echo off the walls, right? Aww, I that's mean, cool. as best as 2005 could do it, yeah. right? So there I am playing my guitar in a cave cavern, and people would just l- like come together hmm. and listen. Wow. And it was just a cool experience for me. And I, so I, I told him this story, and it was just a great moment in my life that I got to tell another one of sort of gaming legends about what I, what a, the sort of off label use I made of his game, <laughs> and how excited he was to hear that because he talked about. Um, how, when they designed Mist, it was very, they meant it as a very lonely experience. That was the idea of it. But he found that almost everybody played with friends. Mm. And it was totally against the design of the thing, in fact. But he found that that was actually like really valuable as a, a lesson learned about game development. And so I was very happy to tell him this story of a similar kind of thing. And seeing his wizened eyes light up was just a great moment in my life. And I realized <laughs> later, when I got back from Indiecade, that I'd spent, that I, in the last two weeks, I met two gaming legends who released two completely different groundbreaking games from 1993. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> and the, that, the, the PC games industry like, sort of split in half mm-hmm. right then between, and those were the two games that did it. Yeah. And it was just fun to meet those two guys. Yeah, so. that's, that's awesome. I Man. know, right? <laughs> like, and, I, and, I, and honestly, I didn't expect to see either of them mm-hmm. because I just they weren't on the calendar. Like, just Right, yeah. It's <laughs> just happenstance. Yeah, that's cool. So that was really good. So then I came home. Yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> Um, and then the last thing I did this month I went to Adobe Max which is uh, Adobe's you know they make Photoshop Illustrator they make design tools they're very important in my life because my day job um, uses all that stuff and um, they do a, a, a creativity conference and I go every year and uh, this year I did a pre-conference session on HTML5 game development mm. and the interesting thing the, the takeaway I came from, away from it um, I think people are asked a lot like I, I want to make my first game well what should I make it in and HTML5 is a lot of, People are told that that's a pretty good option. I'm here to tell you it's not. No, oh. <laughs> it's it's just not. Yeah. <laughs> and it's fascinating because I think when you know when I started like noodling with games, I would do you know I do Flash games, right? Like that's sort of a, a and Flash grew into something bigger, and I think it has a bad reputation now, but it's still a fairly robust engine if you want to make something in it. You probably shouldn't, <laughs> but <laughs> but HTML5 isn't quite that, and. Um, but, but when I was starting out, you could make Flash games, little experiments, and they didn't have to be good. That's kind of how you learn some skills. But if you wanted to make bigger games, it was just out of your reach. Mm-hmm. You just couldn't get those tools. And so, it was, so you started with smaller tools to make what you could. But these days, like, there is nothing stopping you from using the same tools that the, you know, is industry standard, uh, you know, namely Unity and Unreal. Um, even the new version of CryEngine is available for independent developers. And... Um, There's just no excuse not to use those tools. But um, uh, with HTML, it's sort of another option. I think people are told, like, if you want to do your first thing, try this. And so it was really interesting to learn how JavaScript works compared to, say, you know, how ActionScript works in Flash or how C Sharp works in Unity. Um, But I think just the takeaway I got was that, like, I think uh, you can't move past that necessarily, Uh, which isn't to say you can't make good HTML games. But you're you'll be you're fighting against something. Mm-hmm. I think that's the that's 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 my the biggest bummer of this episode. I think is yeah. that lesson learning. And, and you know, I I think people are you know, uh, there's. I'd like to hear if people disagree and, and what, um, because there have been good HTML5 projects that they do exist out there. Um, I just my my impression was that it's harder than it should be. Yeah, to me it seems like you should just use Unity. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, isn't Joggernauts and in- javascript i
0: i think so yeah and they Another built like, a custom tiling game. engine and <laughs> i think they there's a lot of work that was done there um and part of that is because you know zach was a web developer right so use the tools you know and i think that's that's always good advice i'll say yeah so like don't let my you know uh my bummer like interfere with that but um uh but i think you have to be as good as they are i think <laughs> <laughs> right if that, if that makes any sense yeah yeah all right enough about that We'll take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about what, Martha?
3: VR! All
0: right. Stay tuned. And we're back. And we're going to talk about what, Martha?
3: VR!
0: (laughs) (laughs) You have news to share.
1: I used my first paycheck to buy myself a vibe. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Wow. So that's pretty exciting. (laughs) You've
0: taken the dive.
1: I've taken the dive for the vibe.
0: (laughs) Someone quick, quick call their marketing department. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, you've played Vibe before a couple of times, right? Oh yeah. So now that you have one of your very own, what, uh, what, what's is anything different now that you can just use it whenever?
1: Um, it's nice because I can just be like, well, I'm going to spend like a bunch of time on this tilt brush drawing and not worry about passing it to the ah. next person because. I-
2: it's yours. It is.
1: Well, I do have to compete with my boyfriend because he wants to play the arrow shooting game. So <laughs> uh,
0: Boys and their weapons. <laughs>
1: I don't know. Every yeah, every person that I've played with who happens to be a guy who loves that arrow shooting game.
0: The from the lab? Yeah. Yeah, I love that too. I haven't played that yet. Oh, you're you're gonna love it. <laughs>
1: I haven't tried it yet. I need to try it.
0: At work I brought in uh, my vibe to show off to coworkers to try to get some VR development going uh, at work. Uh, I didn't go great, but um, I did demo it to a bunch of people, and my boss uh, did the arrow thing. And you know, he's an older guy, uh, not like old old, but so we weren't sure, right, if he was going to be like into it or understand the gamey thing. So we we set up a bunch of like um, uh, more passive demos for him. And then, but we had that one in our pocket in case he was like into it, and he was into it, and he was good. Oh wow, <laughs> he was super good. He got like pretty much the, like I'd never seen a score that high. It's pretty incredible. <laughs> That's yeah. awesome. And I was like, okay, well, I, I now I know not to assume about people.
2: Well, <laughs> <laughs> so, like, uh, what kind of games do you have on the Vive? I don't have a Vive, so I don't know.
1: Uh, all I have so, so far is that it comes with three, like three free ones. No. Um, so Tilt Brush and
2: what? What is Tilt Brush?
1: Tilt Brush. Oh, it's awesome! It's the uh, made by Google, and it's uh, a 3D painting game. Basically, well, it's not a game. It's just 3D painting. Oh. So you have all these different brushes, and then you paint in real like space. So you can make 3D drawings.
2: Oh wow! It's so that cool. is pretty cool.
1: And you can paint with light, and paint with like like goop looking stuff, <laughs> or like. I don't know. that's all these different types of brushes, and I'm sure it would be cool to see in the future. We will like develop more brushes for like Photoshop.
0: Mm. Oh, I hadn't um, considered that. Like the tilt brush, like it was a great demo for me. But because I couldn't, I'm I'm very much a graphic designer in a sense. Like I want to be able to like snap to grids and stuff. So I had uh, I had a tough time with it. Yeah. But um. But yeah. It, I mean, as an expandable platform. Oh boy, that'd be great.
1: I want like. A photoshop level of tools yeah in it. i'm just like
0: ah, wow. so cool <laughs> yeah what what have you made do you have any masterpieces you've put together so far um could we maybe share those
1: <laughs> <laughs> on a, on the website
0: yeah
1: I, um i drew drawn a bunch of insects um as people will probably learn i'm very into insects <laughs> <laughs> um and uh what are some of the other ones i I drew a fish, I do a lot of like little animals yeah. so far. It so is did you have like really... a more
0: sculpty kind of uh bread box size things, or did you do big kind of uh you know man sized archways and paint you know mural y stuff?
1: I'm really into sitting on the floor and like drawing it in front of me, so okay. it's very like pickable, upable size.
2: Hmm. Oh, things. can you like movement stuff
1: too? I just found out you can. Oh, <laughs> if you click the controllers, you can scale and. Rotate and move. Oh, snap. yeah! So. Wow. And speaking of the, the UI stuff mm-hmm. we were talking about before, um, they have really cool UI in it where it is just menus, but you can move them wherever. So you can have like your um, or like settings menu and things you can put up on a wall and uh, mm. like click over to it wherever. Yeah. And then also your brushes are all on this uh, on one of your controllers and so you you flip through them, and they just sort of rotate around your hand. Mm-hmm. It's so cool. Oh, so, wow. <laughs> That's
0: awesome. <laughs> um, so other than fun time, why did you get a Vive?
1: Because I want to make five games, oh, <laughs> or okay. VR games in general, but I'm so, sort of a Vive fan person. Yeah.
2: <laughs> how, how, do you, how do you approach Vive development or VR development?
1: So... Uh, the first game that I was working on was with my brother at a hackathon that we both went to. Um, Unity has a lot of um, built or like things you can just free packages you can download that automatically set up your headset and set up the controllers um, and like have a bunch of built-in functions that you can call
3: mm-hmm.
1: and do stuff with them already built in. So that's where we started. Um, and we were making a game where it's like Paperboy VR, where you are delivering newspapers. Oh, <laughs> cool! <Excellent. excellent. laughs> <laughs> um, and at, during the game jam, we only got as far as uh, having a cylinder <laughs> that you could throw at a box, and it would disappear when it hit the box. Solid <laughs> start. Yes, <laughs> but like, get the mechanic of like picking something up it took a while to figure out how yeah. to code. And physics and stuff like that. Yeah, there's so much,
0: yeah. like you were saying, that the, the, the API is really accessible, but at the same time, some of the things you just assume that you want to do, you do have to build a lot of that yourself. Yeah. Right?
1: And from that, my brother has been developing, but he turned the game into something completely different. So mm. now he's making, um, somehow it turned into an Attack on Titan esque VR uh, game.
2: yeah. I've seen this thing in action. <laughs> It's, it's very, it's, it's interesting you know, how people react.
1: <laughs> There's been a lot of screaming. A lot of <laughs> screaming.
2: Yeah. I mean, I mean uh, so describe the game. I, I think you should describe it. Okay.
1: <laughs> so we should have my brother on as a guest. Uh, but anyway, you uh, have the controllers and you can it's really hard to talk about VR games without like visual. You can see me. Yeah, listeners arms. are
0: not looking at what I'm looking at. With is Martha wildly gestulating, with <laughs> her hands and really describing very well what you're trying to get across. And I, I should just take a hundred pictures. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, what you do is you uh, hold the controllers up and then pull them backwards, and you start flying forward. Uh, when you do that, so. It like shows a line with the vector of where you're going to go, and hmm. you sort of push yourself off like you're. It's Spider-Man like yeah. feeling.
0: And there's video of this. We should share that, yeah. So people can see it in action. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so look for that in the show notes.
1: Ah, uh, and that was because so one of the things that we were talking about earlier is um, motion in VR and how that's difficult to do without making people sick. Yeah. Uh, so. That was one of the the things my brother thought would, would help is having the motion of pulling yourself. And then you could um, not, you have a one-to-one thing that you're doing that oh. your body could be like, oh, oh I'm doing something.
2: That's yeah. interesting. I guess that is a way of going about it. I don't know if other people have, I guess I'm, I'm not very versed in VR as I don't have any. Oh. I guess I have my phone. Well, the
0: game I demoed at Oculus Connect, uh, Lone Echo, mm-hmm. uh, uses a very similar kind of using your hands for locomotion. That's right. And it had uh, similarly mixed results. <laughs>
1: yeah, like, at the playtest, some people were like, oh, my God, this is the worst. I can't, And like, Katie just took it off and was like, no. Um, <laughs> uh, but then other people were like, oh, my gosh, this is so cool. Please keep this in, including the, like, like jarring feeling of falling that is in it Mm. um and that was the interesting thing is that when you fall in the game after you've pulled yourself spider-man off of a wall or off the ceiling or whatever um like your legs hurt when you land
2: Mm. Ooh, that reminds me of when we went to demo that one vr yes okay so a great story A little tangent, I suppose. Um, so we were demoing Andrew. He had, uh, he had a demo of uh, some VR game, but you, um, it tracks. your hands.
1: Is he hand. making it?
2: He's making it. Yes, he's making it. Yes, mm-hmm. sorry. Um, uh, but it, it tracks your hands, and you can, like pick things up. He uh, yeah,
0: had used a leap motion sensor, which is a pretty motion. common add-on for some VR stuff, and lets you have full sort of... Uh, you can, it models your hands in front of you. Yes. Which is really, really interesting.
2: Yes, yeah. So, I mean, you can see that, and you can see your hands and everything. Uh, and you can pick up uh random objects that I think there was a vase or a bust there was a bust of mm-hmm. something of something. And I picked it up and I actually felt like I had it. Um and then later on I asked him, how did you get how did you get my hands to feel like that when I picked something up and he was like, oh no, that just happens to people sometimes. And I was like, What? <laughs> Nobody else experienced it when everybody else was demoing it and mm-hmm. I was just shocked. Um that was that was like the the one immersive experience that I've had with VR that was like yeah.
0: intense. Yeah, and I mean, you, you know how these things work, and, yeah. and that illusion was perfect. I mean, it, it, it fooled you, Yeah, right? Yeah. And I think didn't, we were talking about that, because people made funny a little bit, <laughs> and then we went and we played Job Simulator at my place, and uh, people were leaning on tables and falling oh, over. Oh, that's right, yeah. It's like the same, you know, it was, or someone put their hand in a fridge mm-hmm. and was like, oh, I feel cold. Like, yeah. So you were vindicated. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it wasn't just me. <laughs> yeah, but, so much of this pre- the presence is in your mind, mm-hmm. right? And so the question is, is like about graphical fidelity. It's like that's not the important part, right? right? Your your brain really will solve the metaphor and make it into something real. Yeah, and that's very quickly apparent when you start playing with this stuff.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean we've been doing that for years already with games. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. So yeah, VR is it's not as crazy a beast as it seems. Mm -hmm. Have you uh, aside from that? Have you worked on any other VR games?
1: I haven't yet, but I have been working on a design for a beekeeping VR experience. Okay. (laughs) Um,
0: This is, fair warning, the best idea I've ever heard. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, thank you.
1: Uh, Basically, it would be um, just beekeeping in VR. So you'd have a a beehive um, and then um, a smoker that you could pick up and both smoke on the bees to calm them down, and then you open up up and pull out the frames of honey and see the bees going around on them that's my vision anyway
3: oh cool and
1: it would be cool because then people uh could um experience it without having to actually have bees able to sting them
0: (laughs) (laughs) right which is a thing i don't want in my games (laughs) (laughs) you might accidentally feel like a virtual sting oh my gosh I didn't even the-
1: think about that. Yeah.
0: Wasn't there an X Files episode like that where someone like thought they got stung by something and then died from it? Oh. I Have
1: didn't even sign. think about
0: this. Have them sign a waiver. Sign a waiver, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> huh. So what tools are you using? What like what do you uh, from from Jump, what does it take to put like even a prototype together?
1: Uh, I've picked Unity mm-hmm. to use and then the the plugins that come with that. And then, of course, hardware, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, which will be different for whichever VR like that you want to do, because mm-hmm. it's a whole range of stuff. The Vive is an Oculus, are so like the high and high end stuff? But people around here have also been developing for the phone and like things that don't need controllers and things mm-hmm. like that. Like uh, your brother, Steve Stevens' brother brother charles, charles yeah. <laughs> he'll uh, be happy you remembered his name <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: yeah i was working on a game called chroma which doesn't need
0: controllers
2: no i guess it just uses an oculus um, and people just look at things and then it'll
0: yeah it uses a dk2 right and so yeah. but it's well i mean because of that it's well adapted to be done as a mobile game mm-hmm. right yeah um they were testing on my
2: uh phone i have a oh. galaxy s6 Mm-hmm. Um, and they tested it for a while, but the battery doesn't last very long on those. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, and I think it overheated a couple of times.
0: So. Yeah, that's a, that's a common problem I've heard, is that they, it basically unlocks, especially on the Samsung phones with, with Gear VR, mm-hmm. like it sort of is, goes into a like, uh, hardware unrestricted mode. And like mobile devices, are as powerful as they are, they are constantly being throttled. Yeah. Because they don't have fans in them. And so it's highly regulated. Like your phone is almost never operating at peak performance. But in situations like that, it is. Yeah, And so you see the consequences. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I actually
2: uh, developed a Gear VR game uh, during a game jam. Hmm. Uh, it was called Save Jimmy. You're supposed to protect, you're the Guardian Angel, and you're supposed to protect Jimmy from all of these. Well, he, he actually just kind of randomly got himself in a really stupid situation. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and he was just he was just trying to get to the uh, school bus, but yeah, that was an interesting experience. Um, I I mainly did design for it, mm-hmm. um, so it, my experience was fairly similar. I it was kind of weird because people really just enjoyed blowing stuff up, and so we focused a lot of time on that. So most of the design I did wasn't even used. Right, right. Um, that's how those work. Well, uh, that's
0: interesting. I mean, we talked a little bit about we we're talking about Oculus Connect and like the different types of games you could do with uh in VR and a lot of times it really lends itself to first person shooting games, Mm -hmm. right? Or in the case of like gear or cardboard and first person eye lasering games. (laughs) Which I mean, fair to them. They're super fun Mm -hmm. and they're very natural, right? And it's it's just targeting, right? That's great. Um, but there's more to be had in this field. And so it's uh like when I'm thinking about designs I want to do, it I, I find it very difficult to avoid having that idea. Mm-hmm. because because it's so obvious, yeah, you know? But then I, I want to check myself, but also I want to be like, am I just, like, what am I fighting against? It's fun, it's a game. Why can't it be shooting? It doesn't mm-hmm. have to be weapons. It can be something else, you know, but the mechanics of it are fun. Yeah. is that something you guys thought about, like, the kinds of experiences you want to do, especially as hand tracking and room scale gets more, I mean, we're not going to have foot tracking for a while. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not going to be able to, I mean, it's just so natural and fun, like, why fight it, right? Yeah, well...
2: I don't know. I guess. Or well, yes, let's fight it. Which, you know. <laughs> I I haven't I haven't really thought too much about VR experience or creating a VR, sure. Experience. uh because well, I don't have access to one. I guess like all of most of the VR experiences I have played and the ones I am thinking about are really kind of gimmicky and mm-hmm. they'd only be like interesting for a few times. Mm-hmm. They'd only be they'd only be like a, a, sort of immersive, but not not something I would come back to and play over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. I'm more in the action games and. I haven't found a VR game that lends itself well to that that I would be interested in playing that is unique to VR specifically. Okay. And so I, I haven't come up with anything yet either, and, but I haven't really been thinking about it too much. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's one thing that's just really interesting to me that most of the games that have been coming out are like single-time uh, single experiences, like yeah. you play through them, and they can be done in one sitting, uh, most of the ones I've played anyway um
0: you think that's a function of the 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 the, uh uh, the the form of it like the vr lends itself to that or do you think it's more about um that this is still a new field you know and sort of how you want to put something together in four months that's all you can do
1: i think it's a combination of those things but i think it really does lend itself to bite-sized things because you get tired Mm. um and usually right now, since not a lot of people have access to like the more, well, just any of the, uh, hardware for it. Um, now with the, with the PS4, like PS, the PlayStation PlayStation VR. VR. Thank you. Um, and, and Google cardboard and stuff, maybe people, more people beginning to have this in their house or, or at least a place that's more accessible. Um, But like you'll get to have see it at a party, and then you only get one time to play it. So you'll play the thing that only is for the time that you're at the party. Mm -hmm. Um, I would love to see more games that, speaking of parties, involve the people not in the VR headset. Yes, yeah. I think that's an area that hasn't been like tapped into as much as it could be.
2: That's true. Yeah, that's the issue with VR is it's really just a one person experience right
0: right right and that's really due to cost yeah right i mean uh, there's some technical limitations obviously about having two head tracking in a room or whatever but the truth is is that's just so expensive that they're not really thinking about solving that problem necessarily local multiplayer yeah um but yeah asynchronous gameplay that's uh, i i'm fascinated by that in all sort of development styles um there's two examples i can think of that really work for that in vr right now keep talking and nobody explodes yes yeah, which we've, we've all played, and is a blast. And <laughs> mm-hmm. it's not necessarily strictly a VR game, technically. Like It doesn't have to be, right. but it's really, really effective as a VR game. And that one, if you're not aware, is someone has the headset on, and they have to defuse a bomb. And it's just a, a device with a bunch of uh, knobs, switches, triggers, and it's randomized, and um, there's, they, they don't know what to do, and the game doesn't tell them. But the, uh, the other players sit at a table uh, or on a couch uh, in the room and they don't see what's going on. So they don't actually see the television. There's no video game experience for them. But they have a printed manual of the bomb diffusal uh, guide. So then they'll, they'll ask the diffuser, you know, what do you see? How many wires? And they'll tell them. And then they will go through the manual and based on what they hear. So it's a communication game. Yeah. Um, and, like, yeah, playing with you guys is a blast. Um, <laughs> because you find out who's good at Morse code, which is nobody. Um <laughs> but also like what is you know what people find interesting about and then we all sort of take little we you know take little parts of it right yeah. with a big, big team you're like okay i'm going to handle this one i'm going to handle this yeah. one yeah. and we it's it's an amazing like it should really be done at like corporate retreats um, yeah actually it because does, it's it, super fun to lose too yeah <laughs> like, you all
2: have to communicate and you all have to cooperate well in yes. order for this bomb to get diffused so I, I, that right. actually makes a lot of sense maybe they should start working on vr games that are for corporate retreats or something like that to, yeah. to add or to
0: uh, promote cooperation within oh yeah the team. yeah I mean that's a case for, I mean VR for good right mm-hmm. to actually teach those sorts of things because um, well you know at GlitchCon one of the keynote speaker had this great thing that I just love which is that chess teaches you empathy even mm-hmm. though it's highly competitive you learn to get in somebody's head and that makes you value other people more and it's such mm-hmm. a weird roundabout way of teaching that but that's the power of games yeah. and I think the VR games I mean that I mean teaching cooperation is a much simpler task by that measure Um, But that's an excellent one. The other one I was thinking of is a PlayStation VR game called uh, Playroom VR, Mm. which is like a demo that comes with PlayStation VR. And it's very approachable for people who've never tried VR before. So it's kind of the Wii Sports, but it's highly uh, asynchronous where you have one person in the headset and they're playing like the Godzilla monster who needs to uh, smash buildings. And then you have everybody else with controllers on the couch watching the TV having to shoot at the Godzilla monster from, the, you know, from the, the you know, the, the attack line, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and so that's, and it's all very playful and colorful um, based on, I think, uh, PS4 had a playroom game at launch that was similarly like a demo sort of thing, um, and that one, I'm afraid no one will ever really play, because it's <laughs> kind of a demo thing, and people are like, I want to do Batman VR. Yeah. If, if you want to show your parents, I think that's a good <laughs> one, and it's got that asynchronous gameplay that I, I do wish there were more in development, you know?
1: That reminds me of a, a local game from uh, Global Game Jam last year. That was uh, four players playing a two D game maze game, uh, trying to get from one side to the other, and then the person in VR played the giant above the. Oh, they going to talk about? Yeah, yeah. And they, they just looked like a spotlight, like their where their vision was with a spotlight onto this uh, dark like maze where the other players were trying to go through and then they could laser the players yeah. and it was heavily skewed to the person in VR oh yeah oh yeah I remember
2: playing that game yeah it was yeah you were OP when you had that headset on <laughs> for sure I mean that's the idea right God mode right, right right yeah but I guess those kinds of games would be pretty cool. Um, Maybe people could start looking for uh, to the Wii U for inspiration. I know that the Wii U, there aren't a lot of games that utilize the, yeah. the gamepad very well.
0: I will say, though, that uh, Nintendo Land mm-hmm. is, I mean, that is an excellent asynchronous design. Yes. And it has a bunch of mini games. So, I, yeah, I re- that's a great recommendation for people to check out Wii U games that, that do that.
2: Yeah, yeah. There's, there's not a lot of them that use nope. it well. But,
0: I mean. They gave up on that quicker than I'd have hoped. Yeah. But, uh, but there are good ones. Mm-hmm. Good ones. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's worth looking into. Yeah, so Martha, you're not the only developer locally who is getting in this realm, right? We have, we got some we have some friends in our community who we might want to shout out to, right?
1: It's true. Speaking of of a game that and developer that uh, making a game that can have audience participation, um, Beach Ball Valley oh, is being made here. Um, Be still my heart. (laughs) The gold standard of VR experiences.
0: (laughs) Right. None of you out there, if you have not played it, you really have not VR'd.
1: (laughs) It's true. (laughs) It's just nothing compares. Who
0: Mm -hmm. makes that game again?
1: It's Paul Eckhart. Paul Eckhart. Yeah, Yeah, it goes by
0: Puzzabug. That's his. So we'll put the link to to Beachwell Valley. It's on Steam uh, in early access. Um, It's it's cheap. You should buy it. Mm -hmm. He's Um, updating it frequently. Yes, he is. That's the thing. That's what's... Paul is a great example for this community of like, he just, he's got a lot of energy and he's just, he's throwing it out there. Like, we were talking about imposter syndrome, like, the key is to get your stuff out there. And like, uh, Paul got his hands on a, a, a like, a demo, or a dev kit and then just gave himself over to it. And I, 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 we should ask him. We should get him on and ask him. We
1: definitely need to, yeah. But
0: like, uh, just from afar, you can tell, like, you know, showing it off, it, helping others get into it. Uh, he's done demos, he's done workshops. Uh, he's a great example, and I think that's, uh, yeah, if you want to be a person to, to, uh, to help people get through and help people learn, uh, Paul's a great example of that. Right.
1: There's also, I just remembered, Lisa, Yeah, she's making a game that uh, you play a magical girl, and it's three, it's a third person, which is really interesting. Yeah.
0: And it's a non-violent game, right? Mm-hmm. Isn't that, that was the that was the brief on that one. Yeah, that's a that's a good example. Yeah, and the, yeah, I mean different types, right? It's the, the you can make one that's not about shooting. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we'll link to it. Yes. Yeah.
1: Um, but she got a grant for that, which yeah. is really oh, yeah. cool. Fantastic. Um, so I'm really excited to see where that goes. It yeah. Seems like it's uh, narrative based too. So mm-hmm. that's gonna be cool. Mm-hmm.
0: I'm particularly interested in that. Like when I, as a game developer, generally, I really like. I like uh, mechanic heavy arcade style games. I think that's, that's a good scope for an indie developer. Um, but for VR, I'm really attracted to narrative. I almost want to make it just a linear game, almost a storytelling thing. Um, Are you thinking
2: of a game that's kind of like Mist or The Vanishing of Ethan Carter or something? Yeah,
0: a little bit. Like, you know, something that has game elements where the, the game mechanics reveal story. But that um, it's the first time I've ever considered. Uh, uh, creating cutscenes for a game of mine was was when I'm thinking about VR games, mm. which is funny because I kind of long ago decided like no I, you know I've done I've done independent film and I I really like that but I like film and I, that's what I like it in the mm. games I want something different from right. but I've sort of changed my tune a little bit uh, for VR I would have no solutions but <laughs> it's, I, I've I've drawn back to that uh, in a way that I sort of uh, cast off a while ago mm-hmm. um, and there's you know there's some good examples but there's not a lot yet. Mm -hmm. right so it's a it's a nut waiting to be cracked yeah yeah for sure yeah um so that's the show guys did we do okay i hope so we managed we're gonna do another one you think feeling imposter
1: syndrome about this episode
0: (laughs) 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 what do you say let's do it again sometime yeah sure all right fantastic so Listeners, now that you know what you're in for, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast app uh, and give it a good review if you liked it, uh, especially you, Sarah. <laughs> it's really important for us as a new podcast to get reviews, get subscribers. So, you had any sympathy for us, please do. Uh, we also want to hear directly from you, so follow us on Twitter and all the other things at Nice Games Club. Uh, let us know how we're doing and ask your questions. Uh, and lastly, you can find more about the show and get all the links and notes from this episode. We promised to put them together. Uh, it's a nice games dot club so until we start again remember to play nice and make nice